Hey everybody, Shane here. Hey, look, uh, you've heard me talking about my friends at Joseph Meyer Club, and I want you to go over, check them out at josephmeyerclub.com today and try out their brand new aftershave. Um, and if you use my promo code RPPJMC20, you can try it today with 20% off. So just enter that code at checkout. Again, RPPJMC20 at checkout at josephmeyerclub.com. And uh, yeah, it's a great product. Um, I, I've been using it myself and I love it and it smells great. And uh, so check it out and for all your aftershave needs. Again, josephmeyerclub.com. Follow them on Facebook as well for more information. And uh, yeah, tell them Shane sent you. Thanks everybody. Hey everybody, Shane Presley here with Rock Paper Podcast. Let me tell you about my friends over at Naked Vine. Located at 1624 Clarkson Road in Chesterfield, Missouri. Serving up all your favorite wine, whiskey, tequila, and local craft beers. Stop by and visit them this weekend for some great live music. On Friday, Lily B. Moonflower. And Saturday, Grass-Fed Mule. Uh, I return to Naked Vine on March 12th. With my good friends Brad No, Jenny Rokus, and Andrew Ryan for my singer-songwriter storytelling showcase. Uh, again, we do that every second Tuesday of the month out there at Naked Vine. Find the full calendar and details at nakedvine.net. Be sure to follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the show. Um, the podcast is kind of like a, it's like a radio show that's not on the radio it's on, it's on the internet. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's also like my mom. Uh, it makes it sound more confusing, doesn't it? Uh, it sounds like this. Hey, hey we're, we're nothing, nothing still. still. And you're listening to Rock Paper Podcast. Rock Paper Podcast. Rock Paper Podcast. Rock Paper Podcast, y'all. Watch the 
everybody Shane Presley here rock paper podcast coming to you from st. Louis Missouri hanging out today with the guys of nothing still hey well, how's it going welcome to the show guys <laughs> up? Uh, you guys want to properly introduce yourselves uh, for everyone yeah, I'm Emilio I'm the vocalist and uh, rhythm guitars and I'm Patrick I'm the drummer yeah man this is cool because uh, it's our first time meeting and getting to you know get to know each other a little more and um, but uh, I, and I've just recently started discovering the band, so that's what's been even cooler, like, to kind of get into a deep dive into what you guys um, were doing and stuff, and now in doing again. Uh, so, was I, I guess uh, I was trying to do some timeline kind of stuff in my head, and I was like, I, I think, like, I don't know, I was probably right in that area when I started really, uh, when, when, like, your guys... Uh, last record came out and stuff like when that was right around the time when i started kind of really deep diving into our local music and stuff but i sort of so i must have just just missed you guys uh crossing paths and stuff there and like um so it's kind of cool that uh our world's kind of aligned you know years later but uh i not i discovered uh patrick more through you more through the video stuff yeah um and that's where we started becoming friendly online and uh your your work with that so it's cool to learn that you played also and everything else so like mm-hmm. I, like i said i'd like to i thought it'd be fun to sit down and talk and discover uh, and get to know more about all that stuff and uh and some of those times and and what you guys are up to today um you uh we are right after uh last night you guys just played delmar hall mm-hmm. with uh stabbing westward yeah uh you know they're uh big night over there um so let's talk about that night out since it's fresh uh, <laughs> uh you guys uh i don't know as I'll, much i don't know as much fresh as it is hazy <laughs> yeah, last maybe. night but it was an awesome <laughs> night we had, we had a great a great time there it was a great turnout too even for the weather the way it was last yeah night. It, it was, it's it's so vintage nothing still that we would you know we're we're, we're doing shows you know once every few months now um, very maybe two three shows a year, and you know here we are. We spend two months promoting the hell out of a show, and then the day of, there's a snowstorm coming. Right. <laughs> it's like great, yeah, cool. But it was great. It was an amazing turnout. I think it did uh, close to 500 people. It was a packed house, um, and people were cool enough to brave the weather and get down there and support us, and especially support Stabbing Westward, which is why we were there. 
Um, but yeah, it was great. I mean, Del Mar Hall is a venue that went up bef- uh, after I moved to Los Angeles. I think in 2016 they built it. And so I've never been there, let alone seen a show there. All right. But we come from the waning days of Mississippi Nights. Like, mm-hmm. we played Mississippi Nights from 2000. Two, 2003 I think 2003 all the way till when it closed and when nights closed I mean we were literally the last guys in there as they were taking stuff out and we had the um, we had the privilege of not only getting like bricks from the building but like we had I have pieces of the stage um, we actually took the toilet seat from the dressing room, <laughs> which has since been lost to the ether. Like we have no yeah. idea where that went. I got, I got tasked. I got tasked to pick up chandeliers uh, from at the time uh, who was kind of our, our producer um, was getting a bunch of pieces of it. So yeah, I got tasked to pick up bar chandeliers yeah. from Mississippi Nights <laughs> and pack them in my car. But we were like, because uh, we were. We were a part of uh, Amp STL, SGM Records, uh, in the 2000s, which was, if you didn't know about it, it was like the local label to be a part of. And, I mean, they were basically throwing huge shows bi-monthly, sometimes uh, twice a week or something, at Mississippi Nights. And we were represented, and we were on the SGM Records label proper. And so it was a really cool opportunity when, when Mississippi Nights closed. I mean, I actually we had the drum riser from Mississippi Nights brought into our rehearsal space. And so I was playing on that same, I was rehearsing on that same riser three nights a week. So that was really, really special as well. But, so Delmar Hall basically um, is now filling this void that Mississippi Nights has left behind for 12 years now, I think. It's been forever. and um, so it, it was cool. It was cool to play that size venue again. Sure. I think, uh, and, and like, uh, I'm hoping you guys would share some more of those stories of, of Mississippi Nights because, like, I, I miss that whole thing. Like, I, I was, I graduated '03, so like, the, mm-hmm. and so like, I know, like, I was around that. I could have been going to those shows, but I didn't really. I never. Uh, I was hadn't quite got into going to a lot of live music yet until like shortly after high school and stuff um so i missed that whole thing but i've heard obviously many stories of the urge and all these guys uh, their stories and stuff about playing there and all these different things and um but uh they i've heard stuff about too that delmar hall is is, uh sort of reminiscent uh and even in like like saying the size and stuff but like definitely not the like the ceilings are much taller and everything else and not, not as a but uh i've heard there were a lot of people kind of saying it was kind of um almost uh kind of modeled after a little bit of yeah I, I mean i definitely noticed that a lot last night um it was my first time there uh, you know for for even living here i just don't get a chance to go out to many shows and um there were a lot of things that i noticed that are really kind of reminiscent of that like with the tiered levels like the way the mississippi nights had and like the ramps that went down to like the main floor even down to like really small details of like uh, they have like angles on the the sides of the stage, which like I don't. It, it, for some reason, that's something that I always remember about the way Mississippi Nights was set up. They had these angles on the side of the stage that I don't see a lot at a lot of venues. But it's just the the tiny little details that really did kind of make it a nice little um, mishmash of 
between the pageant and and Mississippi Nights, like yeah. uh, like they had a child. <laughs> the the unique thing about Mississippi Nights in this town is that it was like generational. It's it you don't see a lot of venues that have that kind of lasting ability, but it was around for so long that you have not only are there so many, I mean, influential bands in pop culture that came through there in early days, but just on a local level like there's so many waves of of bands that came through whether it was like i mean i i can't speak too far beyond but like pale divine in the Mm -hmm. early 90s to the urge in the mid 90s gravity kills um then getting into big blue monkey story of the year ludo you know and and so everybody kind of has their own mississippi nights it's stir you know um like all so whenever there's a Mississippi Nights reunion show. Mm-hmm. I always see the bands that are playing, and you really can't you you can't discredit anybody because everybody kind of has like what their generation of that club was. So for us, yeah, it was the it was the mid two thousands basically, and we were in it all the way down to the end. I think like we played our last show there a month before it closed. I think so. And then, like I said, we were like we were literally some of the last people in the building before they tore it down. Yeah. And um, and that and that's cool. And so those those pieces that I I mean that place was, it was mythic. You know I mean like the, I I just remembered all the stories I heard when bands would come into town they would play there. But I was never old enough to go like in the nineties like it was Marilyn Manson played there, um, just fucking who Green Day probably played there. I mean like sure. everybody came through, um, and I was never old enough. And I think the first show I went to was. It was Dope, Orgy. Or no, I'm saying it in the wrong order. It was Dope, Videodrome, and Orgy was the headliner. That was the first show I ever went to Mississippi Nights, and I remember going in there, and it was like, this is a rock club. This is what rock clubs are supposed to be. Right. You know, it's like Emilio was saying, like the multi-tiered. There was the under-21 side, the over-21 side. There were two bars. There was a whole merch section. It was great. And so it just had that mythic quality to it. And so we, the first time we played there in Nothing Still, um, it was really strange because we were actually support for a band CD release show. And we were just kind of in our first or second year and like did not have our shit together whatsoever. We were in a very like, like primordial version of Nothing Still. And we outsold the headlining band. And so the promoters were like, you're going on last. And we're like, what do you mean we're going on last? They're like, we need people drinking all night long. And you sold more tickets than the fucking CD, (laughs) the the, the band releasing their CD tonight. So you're going on last. And so literally, no bullshit, the first show we ever played at Mississippi Nights, we headlined. Yeah. And I mean, we were not good. <laughs> it was out of out of the many iterations of, of this band. Yeah, it's we've had we've definitely had downs from the beginning. It was, it yeah. was definitely down at the beginning if you compare to what what things were whenever we whenever we started. I mean, venue wise, I mean, getting the break to do Mississippi Nights was probably probably the best thing that that could have happened to us because I mean. There weren't 
there weren't venues there were like tiers of venues almost it was like you can go and play your creepy crawl if you really wanted to you yeah. know the original creepy crawl the creep crawl was always your first step in because it was the easiest to get a gig at yeah um and uh and and like People who've gotten this far in the show are who probably aren't familiar with our music, or or if you've played anything for them already on the show, <laughs> I don't know. But like, to give you some backstory of where we come from, I mean, we came out of in the late '90s, like the new metal phase, and and there was sort of a thing. There was like new new metal. <laughs> it came from hair metal. And it was like a lot of your people that you were into, if you were in the corner, if you were in the Limp Bizkit or the Deftones, Deftones especially, the Deftones were obsessed with 80s New Wave, The Cure especially, or The Smiths. And so once you started going hand in hand with those things, they started revealing themselves. So it happened to me, um, I was always really into, I've always been into bands that put on performance like not just like typically about the music I've always been interested in like the show and so I've always been attracted to bands like Kiss um, David Bowie you know uh, Molly Crew, and I got really into I mean I'll, I'll just well I got it my the band that really stirred me in a direction was orgy. I was obsessed with Orgy, and I was like, that's the kind of band I, I want to do, and I was in this new metal band, so I was doing music that was quite opposite of that, and I was also 14 years old. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was 14 years old playing in the Creepy Crawl before I was even in high school, and the first show that, that I played ever at the Creepy Crawl was actually with Big Blue Monkey, a very like early version of Big Blue Monkey where Ryan Phillips and uh, Dan were actually, like Dan was playing drums, he wasn't even the lead singer of the band right? and um, that was kind of, the, so it was like I did that for a couple years with this band and we broke up I mean, we did, you know, like we were, we got our, through the ranks of like doing pops and all kinds of stuff and playing festivals, but like it didn't really go anywhere. And then in um, the fall of 2000, I think we, we, we broke up and I was really down and out and I was like, I'm finally going to make that orgy band that I want to make. And I was home one night and uh, my mom had just gone to see Prince. Prince came in the town. And she came back, and she was raving. She's like, oh, you would have loved it, Prince this, Prince that. And as a teenager, like, all I knew of Prince was it, like, whatever was in the kind of lexicon of, like, Prince, you know, that you knew about. And and so I had a VHS copy of Purple Rain laying around. And so I popped that in, and I watched Purple Rain for the first time ever, and I was just mesmerized. I was like, that's what I want to do. When I watched The Revolution, I was like, that's what I want to do. And then a couple months after that, um, there was a really amazing band in St. Louis called Die Symphony. And Die Symphony was like what we knew. For us, there was like Gravity Kills. If, if I'm talking about like 80s influence, industrial, 90s industrial, right. like Gravity Kills was doing it. There was another band called Full System Purge. And then Die Symphony. 
So once Gravity Kills took off, I said with Die Symphony was like the band. And Die Symphony would own shows at Mississippi Nights. And the cool thing about Die Symphony is they, they had like their own lights. They had fucking fire. And it's like you you got to see a show. And they were a local band. And everybody knew. You could go to Sam Goody. They'd have their CDs there. you get a Die Symphony CD. Um, and it was like, that's the band to go see. And so as May of 2001... I went to Mississippi Nights to see Die Symphony play, and there was a band from Chicago on the show called Kill Hannah. And I watched these guys play, and I was just obsessed. I was like, that's the band I want. So, so it was these two events for me. It was watching Purple Rain and seeing how cool the revolution were and, and the mystique of that, and then seeing Kill Hannah for the first time. And when I saw Kill Hannah... I knew what the band had to be. It was kind of those things, you know? Like, I knew I wanted to make this orgy-type band, but I didn't know how to do it because I'm 17 years old, and I don't have money, and I don't have technology. But then when, I, when these two things happened, I knew that was the kind of the birth of Nothing Still. And so I had been, in between bands, I had been jamming uh, with some guys, and that was just kind of the start of it. And I actually had a name before anything happened. I was still in high school, and I walked into I walked into my airbrush class one day, and the teacher said, "Hey, Slusser, what's the name of your band this week?" And and sometimes I say things backwards. So instead of me saying, "Oh, it's still nothing," I said, "Oh, it's nothing still." And he goes, "Oh, wow, that's a pretty cool band name." <laughs> and I said, "What?" And he goes, "Nothing still. It's a pretty cool band name." And so I went back to my desk and I wrote it on a piece of paper and I still have the piece of paper to this day. I wrote "Nothing Still" down, and it stuck. And so. We were able to get some guys together, and I'd say probably the next turning point for the band really was Emilio joining, and it was like the week after 9-11. And I remember uh, Emilio came to try out, and I just remember they were having that like tribute to heroes, uh, mar- uh, not mar- I don't want to say marathon, uh, what do they call those things? Uh, telethon? Telethon, like, telethon, yeah, it was like the tribute to heroes telethon was on TV, and like Bon Jovi was on there and stuff, and I just remember that, and like... That was kind of like as the band was starting around that time, and so it and so it took us a while to finally like get up and running, but we we ended up going to SGM Records to record because they just offered recording services, and they were doing huge, huge, huge shows, and we had these raw songs that we thought were great. And we were thought, it's very Depeche Mode. It's very cool. Like, we thought it was very current, you know, but it really wasn't. <laughs> and we went into the studio with these tracks. And our producer, Kevin Gerdes, saw potential in them. I mean, we already thought they were great, and they weren't. And he was like, he's like, yeah, there's something here. And I think that, like, he was working with a bunch of bands that were all doing hard rock stuff at the time. Mm, like a lot of screamo and yeah. stuff like that. Unchained, yeah. The Fifth Element, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so they were doing a lot of like, uh, there was a little bit of pop punk that was going on mm-hmm. too. And so he was like, hey, here's something I can play with and mold, especially like the 80s influence side. And so in one night, we cut the single for Lovesick. I have found you falling from your 
and away from you and and maybe not in one night but i mean it was like it felt like it was that quick but it was it was, it, fast it was sure. real fast yeah and that that shaped it because we didn't know what we were and he heard it and said i could do something with this right. and so and so we had the song love sick and then he he like made the beat or he made the track for it and it just came together so fast. And all of a sudden, we were hearing ourselves for the first time, which is such a strange phenomenon. But that's what a good producer does. Right. A good producer hears raw material and then molds it into something that's useful. And that's what was happening to us. And so then we knew. And so then we had to adapt our sound based off of that. So by the time that was going, we we really got up and running, I'd say, in like 2003. So we'd started, when you see like our t-shirts, it says established 2001. That's when, that's literally when the band started. But I would say we really got up and running. We really started playing a shitload of shows around 2003. Mm. No, for sure. It was, uh, it was crazy. I, I mean, I, coming into, into it, I didn't really know what to think um, when, when I came to audition for the band. Um, I'm sure... Patrick always tells his stories so much better, and it's always great. But uh, the way he describes me showing up to to the tryout, um, but basically we had, we had a mutual friend that had um, uh, that was in a band with one of my good friends, and they're like, "Oh, well, you know, our friend's band is looking for a singer and a guitar player." And I was jamming with a guy, so um, we actually decided to both try out as separate as I was going to try out for vocalist. Uh, he was going to try out for guitars and, um, it, he was not quite the type to fit the, the style of the way that the band wanted to go. He was a very big metalhead, listened to Slipknot pretty much like nonstop. Yeah. Um, played like a flying V guitar and stuff like that. And, and so for me coming into it, it was, it was very odd cause I didn't know, I, the funny thing about it is that with that Die Symphony show that Patrick was just talking about with Kill Hannah is that I was at, I was at that show as well um, with the girl that I was dating. And I remember just kind of being taken aback by just, that was one of my first times, I think that was my first time seeing Die Symphony. It was the first time seeing Kill Hannah. And it was such a cool, like, unique thing that you don't hear very much. And then the same thing goes for me is that I was, you know, very... I was always really 80s influenced. Um, you know, I, I got late into the game with getting into bands like The Cure and, and Depeche Mode and Smiths and stuff like that. And um, seeing that kind of like revitalization come out in those bands was really cool. So coming to join this band was like, okay, well, I'm going to try out and I don't really know really what I'm going to do. And so I tried out with an orgy song and... Uh, yeah, it was it was unique because I had never fronted a band before. It was always uh, it was always play guitar for bands and and he couldn't look at us while he was trying out. He had a second. I had a I had a subway sized poster of Duran Duran on my wall, and he stared at the Duran Duran poster. And I think he's saying stitches by Orgy and probably pictures of you or something by The Cure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was uh, it's it was a weird thing, and and it's funny because it still kind of carries over to this day. Like I have. I, I do have pretty bad stage fright um, and I don't particularly like performing in front of people because of just anxiety you know it's just kind of life at that point but um, it's something I had to adjust to pretty quickly you know it's like well I didn't choose this profession to, to just 
have anxiety through it all and just be right. terrified all the time, you know? And, uh, which is funny because now, like, if you see us perform, like, I still turn back to him whenever, we're, whenever we perform. But, you know, I, I have a really good ways now of, of, of being able to, to work with the crowds and stuff like that. But trying out was really cool. And, and basically, you know, they were like, well, but you can play guitar too. So, like, kind of just want like one package instead right. of getting both and starting that from there out was just really unique because I feel like everybody in the band at the at the time everybody wanted something different from the band mm-hmm. like I think everybody wanted to be in a cool band and we like we knew we were doing something cool we just really didn't know what it was I think like you're saying everybody kind of thought it was something else yeah yeah and so when it when it came down to getting and cutting those first demos, um, you know, when we actually got to Ampetable SGM, um, was just, it was, it was so unique to finally just like hear some, like a molded product, you know, doing exactly what a producer would do to bring a new sound, something that you didn't hear much of in this city, right. you know, especially in this city, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and yeah, I think, I think it was, it was a great experience for, for all of us, for sure. With it and a learning experience on top of it to realize that, Hey, yeah, you guys actually didn't know shit the whole <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. You know, you, you, you thought you did, but you know, this is actually the way that it, that it really should be. And, and it, and it kind of clicked as like, no shit no that's right like we, we that definitely was the way it should have been like we should have been thinking this way and you know i mean there's a reason why lovesick is still a song that we that we play in our sets you yeah. know because it's it's a defining song for us and always has been you can yeah you can go to spotify or itunes music right now and and look up lovesick by nothing still and that's what we cut yeah that's from 2003 and and uh and it just the album that we released it on just turned 15 years old two days ago (laughs) it's nuts but yeah we i i would say to skip ahead um our our big thing was like we we were built of two guitarists a drummer and a keyboardist and we never had a bass player and so there was a lot of like revolving doors in terms of like who could pick up you know that section and we had a really good friend that i went to high school with and he ended up um, he, you know, he was always kind of like in and out of circles with other bands, and he ended up uh, interning with SGM Records. And uh, Kevin said, "Why don't you get Tommy to play?" And we we're like, "Yeah, Tommy." We didn't ever think about because because Tommy was always like into like Rage Against Machine, but he was a really good funk bass player, and that's the kind of thing that like even though you were into that kind of new metal. I don't, I, you know, however you want to describe that kind of music, but like there's a funkiness to Rage Against the Machine. And even yeah, though yeah. That, like, that was something that he was really influencing, he could come in and play funk bass to our four on the floor dance lines. And we love Tommy because he's just so fun to be around and he's a naturally funny person. <laughs> he, 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 and the funny thing, I mean, even looking at it like that, I mean, he cut those first demos. The yeah, demos he was, he was engineering on those demos. And, and that's how we. <clears throat> We, he knew the songs. And so when Kevin pointed to him and said, what about Tommy? We were like, yeah, what about Tommy? Like, let's do it. And he's been in the band ever since. <laughs> and he's still like, I mean, he's, he's our, he, I think he's our secret weapon in a lot of ways. I mean, we each have our own strengths. Um, 
And with with Tommy, we were blessed because not only is he just an incredible bass player, but he's just an incredible like his mind works unlike anybody I, I know. He thinks very mechanically. And so he's been our tech guru. He's been our uh, mechanic <laughs> on the road. Uh, he's really, really saved our ass time and time and again. I mean, even even yesterday, we're scrambling to make sure we've got all the cords we need, and he's <laughs> sitting there soldering shit together and making sure that we've got the stuff that that make the show. I mean, you look at our show from last night, and and uh, you know we've got intelligent lighting on stage, but what the audience doesn't know is he's the one controlling it. So he's sitting on stage tapping his foot on a pedal that controls our intelligent lighting going off, so that it's always in the rhythm of the song. <laughs> and Stabby Westward was like. Like they couldn't believe it. They were like, "You trust your bass player to do that?" I'm like, "I wouldn't trust anybody else in the band to do it." <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's he's incredible and incredibly smart, and a lot smarter than he gives himself credit for. Um, you know, it, he is. He's. I mean, he's he's my uh, my guitar tech on top of <laughs> all of it too um, you know works on any equipment and stuff like that that we have broken down but man when it comes to music he just he has this kind of natural feel to it and you know even even after all this time you know and, and there's been a long you know long gaps you know when we weren't playing and that and coming back and doing it again it's like we never stopped yeah. you know and, and he's always been really good about picking that stuff right back up again so um, well so what uh mentioning that like the gap there like what was uh what was all that about like what was it a lot of pet moving or was a uh, well well what so what happened for us is that um so I would say, like, we f- really finally hit our stride around 2006. We were, I mean, we were just in and out of doing cool shows and being part of the scene. And SCL Punk, you know, being around. I, were you on oh, SCL yeah. Punk? Yeah, I remember yeah. Space. Yeah, somehow, somehow, I mean, w- here we are. We're in the thick of this, like, St. Louis music scene that was very much pop punk. And, I mean, story of the year were the kings. And, you know, here we are. We're this, like techno new wave 80s dance band in the middle of all this shit but are somehow putting this rock edge on it and we're constantly in the top 20 of top songs on SCL Punk you know I mean Magnum Girl was like number one for a couple weeks for a while there <laughs> and and so we're on every show every time there's a big festival show in town we're a part of it we're up there with Westcott Rushmore Academy all the big bands Centerpoint and uh Word just started getting around, and we just started to hit some big shows. And then, so right around 2006, uh, we found our, or 2005, we found ourselves out of uh, a guitarist again. And so we put the word out, and we were auditioning people, and nobody was really hitting the mark. <laughs> and then one day, we, we, we took uh, a call from this, this kid, Anthony, and um, he had been in a band that that I had been around, I get a little bit, but but we had never really played with, so we weren't familiar with him. And he came in and he knew every song and fucking blew us away in the audition, just shredding. One of the most unbelievably gifted natural lead guitarists I've ever seen. And just in one, I mean, we we walked in all high and mighty, like whoa, we're the band, you're auditioning for us, and he just fucking laid into it and played our songs, just nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> 
phenomenal in every way, shape, and form. And so it, it was such a point too, where like I feel like all of us at that point were like about to just give up trying to find because the just the callbacks that we were getting and and the auditions that we were getting were just like, there's no way these people can be serious. There's no way. Yeah. Like there's no way that you know and. As unfortunate as it is, you know, there is, uh, you know, and not to sound like assholes about it, but there's an image that, that we have and there's an image that we kind of choose to uphold that we need that we need to uphold with it. So that's another part that's going to come with it. You know, there's just some people that you're going to click with. Sure. And if you don't have that click, then it's, it's not going to work. And Anthony coming into it, for being just a shy kid, like he was younger than all of us. I mean, what he was, what like sixteen or something. I think he's. Thing? I think you're a year younger than me. I think he's a year younger than you. So he's two years younger than me. He's even younger than that. Yeah, Anthony, if you're listening, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Anthony. We don't know how old you are. <laughs> but you know, that's uh, it, it's one of those things of like, man, this kid just came in and just blew us away, and he was super like he was really shy, like he didn't really know much about the world as kind of as we knew it at that point and so uh having him it was one of those things it was just an yeah. immediate click like yeah we'd already been through the ringer a little bit yeah. <laughs> so that makes up the core of nothing still that's that i wanted to get to that before we got yeah. too far so that's that's emilio myself tommy and anthony and so that's the core of nothing still and so in 2006, we we really hit the ground running with the four of us. I mean, we were playing Warp Tour. We released our second album, Black Tie Affair. The Riverfront Times called us the hardest working band in St. Louis. And uh, off of that, we started getting pageant shows. And it was around that time that we brought on a second guitarist, Matt Kleeman. And he was a really good friend of ours who had been in another band called Our First Summer. And we had gotten in really good with him. And we had an opportunity to bring him in and take the guitar away from Emilio for the first time. And he also, he, I mean, with rhythm guitar, and he also added unbelievable harmonies. And so it just blew up the sound of the band. And so and so we, we went on like that for a couple more years and did a couple more big shows, opening up for Ludo at their Christmas show in 2007. And, uh, you know, I mean, we went on selling out venues like Off-Broadway in 2008, and we recorded our third album. And then that's when I would say the scene started to take a dive. I, I like, bands started petering off. And uh, unfortunately for us, uh, the heaviest thing happened, and um, Matt died in a car crash in uh, December of 2009. And we were about to head out, uh, out out of the country for the first time uh, for a series of shows the following week. And so um, we were posed with a very delicate situation because we, because basically we had now become this band that was a five piece and that was how we operated. And so we knew that we could fall back on being a four-piece again, but there was going to be a massive hole. And um, but we felt like we owed it to Matt that we had to go and do that tour, and because um, he he would have kicked our asses if we hadn't done it. And uh, so we decided to, to go back to being a four-piece. We rehearsed for a few days before leaving for the tour, and then we went to that. 
And then we came back the next year. We continued playing as a four-piece. We were nominated for Riverfront Times Music Award. And then it just kind of started dying off. So for the be- so we, we went strong for the better part of 10 years. And uh, I uh, got I finished my degree in film, started working in the film industry. Emilio really got into DJing. And everybody kind of split off into doing their own things. And uh, eventually, yeah, I, I got to the point I moved to Los Angeles. And so we we played in 2011. We played a show in 2014. And then last year, just completely out of the blue, we were offered an opportunity to play this festival, this Rock the Vote festival. And we'd been fielding offers for the last couple of years to get back together. And it just was never really, they never really came to fruition. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I could speak for myself. Like, I've gotten to the point in just filmmaking where I've gotten really bored in a way. Because a lot of my job is taking other people's ideas and making them even better. And I was just getting to the point where I didn't feel like I had a creative outlet. And I haven't been playing music. I mean, in, in my opinion, I always said that Nothing Still would be the last band I would ever be in because it was so much work. I've been in two bands. <laughs> and the first one was hard enough, but all the work we put in the Nothing Still, I didn't want to ever have to do that again. So, so yeah, so when we started entertaining this idea about doing this Rock to Vote festival last year, it was... Um, it was refreshing. It was refreshing to like see some of the excitement. Everybody was kind of at a point in their life where we were free to do it. I wasn't booked on anything. Um, everybody else kind of had open availability in their schedule. And it started as, yeah, we'll do the show. What songs are we going to play? And then the next thing it was like, you guys want to write some new songs? And then it just all of a sudden became really serious. Yeah. And we started having a discussion uh we started having this discussion about how, like, where we are at in life, because where we're at in our early 30s compared to where we were as, like, teenagers and in our 20s, right. like, we have a lot more opportunities available to us now, a lot more connections and a lot more things like just, I mean, just self-distribution in itself is something we didn't have in 2004, 2005, 2006. And we can do so much. We don't have to think locally. We can think globally now. And all of these things really appealed, especially to me. And I know you've already been doing it with Serpsican. And it was like, why not? Like, why why not? Like, maybe we can't play 20 shows a year, but we can play two or three really fucking good ones. Yeah, man. And we can spend the rest of our time writing new music and getting out there and exposing ourselves to people who don't know who we are. Mm-hmm. And... Um, um, well... I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I was gonna say when I listened to the the last record, uh, like I said, everything's on Spotify and all that. Now, but I was listening and like I definitely picked up on some of those like that dance influence, like you guys are talking about and stuff. But like it didn't feel dated at all. You know, it's like it's not like it feels like yeah. uh, like and the production on it too uh, was, was what stood out to me. Like it sound the the recording sounds incredible. So Thank it's you. Like, so it's it sounds uh, you know for especially for. You know, considering a, a local band, you know, sometimes you don't always get the 
the best production on some of those recordings and things but uh there was a lot you could tell there was a lot of effort in the, the recording of it so, so it still so still holds up even though that record like i say uh like 10 years now yeah I i've got i got a feeling i slept through before yeah that's that 10 year old record but we record that at sawhorse studios with jason mcintyre yeah, jason's a man yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he did ludo's first record and and the broken bride ep and we we're coming off of doing that Ludo show and we had the opportunity to meet him and he was like, yeah, I want to work with you guys. Yeah. And we spent we spent an entire month in June of 2008 recording that album. We lived out of that studio. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it really... Friend of the show. I'm a big fan of Jason's work. <laughs> He's amazing. Yeah. I'm sorry, girl, but I have to leave. I'm off to the bottom of the century. The streets are empty. The time is right.
Yeah, and 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 in terms of like the sound, I mean, here's what I get all the time. Like people are like, because back in LA, people only know me from what I do in the film industry, and it's and when you say like, oh, I used to be in a band, it's almost like a joke. It's sure. like a side note. It's like, oh, ha 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 ha. But then when people are like, well, what? what did you guys sound like? It's hard to explain right. because in a way, like some of it is like, it's of a time, but like the best way that I like to describe it to people is that we were the killers before the killers happened. And my favorite story is we were doing a college radio interview, uh, I think in 2004 and they were asking us, Hey, like you, what kind of songs you guys want to play in between interviews? And we we're like, Oh, I don't know. Like maybe this or that. And they're like, have you heard this new song from the killers? And we're like, no. And it was somebody told me their first single. And I just remember them putting that on and being like, they fucking beat us to it. Uh, yeah. Like somebody told me, I think, is like the record we probably really wanted to make. And they they nailed it. Like, But the thing about the Killers is that they, they didn't stick to that. The Killers just like, they were just so like up and down like a roller coaster. And like then Sam's Town went a whole nother. Re- and then that third album's a piece of shit. And then, <laughs> you know what I mean? But but it was like that the first record where they were like fresh, coming out, dancey, straight out of Vegas. It was like, wow, that's what we've been trying to do. And then Panic! at the Disco happened. And so... It was it was really hard for us because when you were watching, um, when you were watching fan bases here locally like get amped about Panic at the Disco, and you're like, "Hey guys, we're a local Panic at the Disco. Like, right. pay attention to us." And you know, it, it was a weird kind of thing. I don't know. I, that's kind of where I'm at uh, with doing this show. Is like, it's kind of. I mean, granted, it's not. I don't have the answer for everything, but like if. If you if you like somebody, well, like I can probably put, link you up with somebody locally that's doing something kind of similar that yeah. you could probably dig, and you can probably go see them a couple times a year for yeah. five bucks of, or whatever, you know. Like, and you don't have to spend your hundred dollars a ticket or whatever it is, and you might. But that's my thing is like you you never know when you're gonna find your next favorite band. You can they could be right here, and mm-hmm. it's like so. That's, but yeah, that's that's something that I feel like is such a. And I, I guarantee I know it probably happens in many other scenes, but I know I know St. Louis is a, the Midwest is a very guilty scene of that. Is that we'll get excited about this large act that comes to town, but don't mm-hmm. realize that there are ten local acts that are equally as good, if not better, right. than that major act that they're going to see. But they're not going to go and support them because yeah. that's not where the masses are going. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's something that you know, and that crosses over even to you know, even as as a DJ, as an electronic music producer, if you're not some big guy that wears a, a helmet or wears a mask or something like that that's playing these like huge festivals and stuff like that they don't they don't care about that kind of yeah. stuff there's not enough support i feel like for as many people that complain about the way our scene is whether it be in local music whether it be in clubs you know no matter what is that we're at fault for it we did this to it because we're not supporting enough of our people to, no. to 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 bitch about the way our scene has become and our local music scene has become it's our fault we did this to it yeah and we're the only ones who can make it who can bring it back again yeah i mean really i think a lot of it has to do with the internet i think that the i think that the internet has allowed progressively especially now it has allowed fan bases to kind of be 
like armchair supporters. Mm -hmm. I think even more so now because in the 90s, yeah, I mean, like, that's how bands like The Urge, Fragile Porcelain Mice, Stir, Pale Divine, I mean, they all caught fire by word of mouth. Gravity Kills, you know? Yeah, you, but had, then it, you had to go to the show to see it. You couldn't, yeah. you couldn't watch the YouTube video. You yeah. Uh, Everybody knew about The Urge, right. you know? And then in our time, I mean, we had, it was the birth of social media. So MySpace and SCL Punk especially allowed the community to spread and get it out there, and it was effective. But now, especially with what we're dealing with, trying to basically like reintroduce ourselves to to the world, it's just basically like, like, <laughs> yes, heart, but there's no real like interaction, right. you know, um, and so it's something that we're having to adapt to. But yeah, I totally agree with you. I saw uh, Panic at the Disco was here two weeks ago to a sold out Enterprise Center. That's a sold-out crowd that doesn't realize that there's a band right here in town sure. that plays exactly like. I mean, we're not we're not as good as Panic of the Disco, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Near that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I won't say that, but it's like you like that style of music. We've been doing it for 15 years. Yeah. yeah. That uh, um, was a. I forgot what I was gonna say now. Just <laughs> I just uh, just blew your mind uh, with that uh, Panic of the Disco <laughs> statement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, I was gonna say something. Now I'm totally drawing a blank. Yeah, uh, it's probably, I just it's probably I, super important too. I think that just <laughs> in the way that you know social media is kind of taken taken to it, it's made, and it, I think it's it works on both ends because, you know, granted, fans can be armchair. Would you say armchair? Armchair fans? fan. Yeah, armchair like, fan base. They, they can they can be an armchair fan base, but at the same time bands can be equally as lazy sure. about it. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, you know, we came from a time where we would go to shows and I remember I remember one night of standing next to Steve Ewing from the Urge, handing out flyers. Each of us were standing outside of Mississippi Nights handing out flyers to our each of our shows. Yeah. And we like traded flyers and stuff. I wound up going to his show and it was like Steve Ewing just solo and like that doesn't happen. You don't see that stuff anymore. I don't go out to my car and see flyers on the well, car anymore. I don't get handed flyers as I'm starting to walk. Well, when uh, I have seen it, uh, sometimes like at the pageant, they'll do it and stuff. Somebody will be out there, and then you'll find them all right around the yeah. corner on the on yeah. the ground. Like that's the thing. People just don't get, like care. It's like so. Uh, you know, it's back then. I mean, it probably happened then too a little bit. But I mean, it, it but, definitely did. But but people actually would like, oh hey, I'll check this out. Yeah, people so. wanted to see that kind of stuff because now you know it's it's so much of a okay, let's start this event page on Facebook, yeah. invite everybody, send a hundred invites, and then sixteen people responded. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then you know, and then of course too with Facebook algorithms, the way that they are is that sure. you know, as a band, you're lucky if your if any of your fan base is going to see that without you having to shell out all the extra money to promote it you know it's it's such a a block of like so it, it's social media in the way that they want you to do social media mm -hmm. you know and so it's a pay to play just the same way that it yeah. always used to be with you know radio stations and stuff like that as a pay to play it's exactly the same way that social media has yeah. came about too is like now if you want to be seen you have to pay to be seen because otherwise it's just going to get lost in the shuffle. Yeah, the um, uh, see so now I lost my train of thought. <laughs> the uh, it's like w that's what we knew was going out there and and just handing out flyers to shows, 
but for me, I like I think around like 2007ish. I read The Dirt by Motley Crue, and they talked about you know 1981. They're just pounding the streets of Sunset Boulevard, poster on every telephone pole going down the street, and that's how they were able to pack the Whiskey a Go Go. And so I went to these guys and I said. This is the shit that we have to be doing. And so we would break up. Like, Emilio would go to one club. I would go to another. We would go to malls and just hand out CDs. And doing that shit for every show, I mean, I, I have friends to this day who I met just by handing them a CD outside of a show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it really, really did. But I think what happened was the system also started working against us. Because eventually people started cutting down on, like, posting bills in places and, like, stopped giving you opportunities. So, I mean, we used to go down uh, Del Mar and just plaster all of U-City with nothing still posters. And now it's like, I mean, you you can. I mean, it's, like, practically illegal to do that shit now. And it's, and, you know, like you were saying, like, people are standing outside of clothes, but then they're throwing them all on the ground. There's no real love for anything. There's no real connection. And... So yeah, it's it's tough, and so it definitely feels like there's a little bit of the system working against us. Sure. Yeah, you mentioned uh, you know the, the the STL punk and the MySpace, and I think I think that also had a big part of it around that era uh, for a lot of people with um, music because uh, you had you could put that song on your profile or whatever yeah. and stuff like so people were like well people heard your you know your favorite song if yeah. you if you put on a whatever the band was and stuff so like and that's the kind of thing now like about the Facebook and stuff you don't get any of that but it's like you know I felt like that helped a lot too people would like immediately click on your page and they'll start hearing music or it'd be you know click play over there or whatever but you know that was a good way to constantly keep plugging your your friends bands and stuff too and um but uh yeah I don't know it's a it's weird man it's weird how things have uh changed and evolved over the last several years and stuff is there any particular advice you guys uh maybe something you guys learn and can apply now to that you uh, want to pass along that uh, from from those days to today, like uh, I mean, we've kind of discussed some of the things that you've seen, but it's situational. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. You know, I mean, here's kind of like my thoughts on, on all of this because I know Patrick kind of you know brought it down as to kind of why we started doing this stuff again and why we're we're back to doing what we're doing is that like there are no record deals anymore. Record deals aren't a thing anymore. When we started and when we were trying to do things, that was the goal. The goal was getting signed to a major label and having everything be that. Well, as everybody knows, and if you don't know, you've lived under a rock, the record industry is shit. Yeah. It, they're no longer able to financially support the bands that they're signing. So do what you want to do. Don't limit yourself to what you're doing. You have endless now, especially with like Spotify artists, stuff like that. You're able to get your music out to the masses without having to battle for this, you know, record label dream of it. That's not the dream anymore. It's not. And I think that that's kind of what got us to where we are now is that we've kind of we've accepted that 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 we're not planning on being some huge you know panic at the disco selling yeah. out enterprise we're not trying to get a record deal anymore <laughs> but, uh, yeah i mean and, and i know and, and it, it sounds kind of shitty but it's it's the truth i mean we just i enjoy being creative and we all just enjoy being creative 
and having these outlets. This is therapy for me. This mm -hmm. is right. I, I I live and breathe this kind of stuff consistently, and as long as I get to be happy doing this for as long as I have, and you know that was a conversation that that we had a long time ago we had we had record label interests you know at a, at a time and oh i mean i would love to touch on this and that, but that was one of the things that we that we agreed upon was that when when we found out that these labels couldn't couldn't sign us as much as they wanted to we basically had to make this decision and i still stick to this decision to this day is that I'll stop doing this when it stops being fun. Right. Yeah. And it's never stopped being fun to me. And I'm still going to keep doing this until it does. Dude, I'll, I'll say this, Shane. Yeah. Uh, the scariest my life has ever been was like, we were like a yes or a no away from like some huge deal. And uh, I just remember like, it was basically like the... It was like you could see the line in the sand of, like, this is where your life changes. And it scared the shit out of me. I remember we were being pursued by, like, the guy that managed um, Evanescence. No, or Flyleaf. Flyleaf. And uh, and they had just broken huge. And so this guy was, like, up our ass about our song Magnum Girl. And I just remember that it was, like, it literally came down to, like, a yes or no answer. And it was a no but it was like we were sitting there waiting. I was like l l sitting on the floor thinking about like, holy shit, my life's about to change. And it was a no. And I was like, fuck. But that was the, it's like the thing like when, when you're a kid and you're like, I'm going to be a rock star. I'm going to start a band. I'm going to get signed and I'm going to have tons of money and, nah, nah, and girls, you know? And it was like, this is it. This is that moment where like you're about to get signed. You're about to have a huge management deal and things are going to change for you, you know? And man, I was scared shitless. Yeah. And uh, and this is and this is the other thing I'll say, touching on what Emilio just mentioned. It's the 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 climate today. I mean, I know one of the most talented, best live bands in Los Angeles. No label will fucking touch them. And it's insane. These these guys saw like banger after banger after banger. I mean, just radio hits one after another after another. Can't find a manager, have yet to be signed. That's the climate right now. Mm -hmm. So I would say if you want to be a musician, you want to start a band, first of all, do it for the fun of it. And second of all, uh, you know, do a lot of research. Try to get your music out there as much as you can. Play shows sparingly. <laughs> Don't overexpose yourself. Yeah. Um, but make sure you're having fun. Because the other thing you got to keep in mind, too, is that a record deal is a really, really bad loan. <laughs> yeah, a really bad loan. Yeah. And as lucrative as it's going to sound, it will really fuck you over. So it's a, uh, you know, in a lot of ways it's life-changing. In a lot of ways it'll give you everything you dreamed of. But then also in a lot of ways, I mean, I mean here's the thing is I deal with this a lot on the movie side of things, too. And you can make a movie, you could spend hundreds of thousand dollars, millions of dollars making an independent film and then sell it for distribution. And then the distribution company does nothing. They don't fucking promote your movie. Nobody knows about it. It goes on demand and 20 people watch it. 
Record labels are doing the exact same thing, except for the problem is you have to pay back the record label. Right. You know, the, if the, the distribution company on the movie side of things, they're buying your movie, but a record label wants their fucking money back. That's a thing nobody tells you. And that's really, really hard to swallow, especially when you have these pipe dreams of being a rock star. And I'm, and I'm, I think, I think as much as I would have loved to have been Panic at the Disco, I am fortunate that I don't owe a couple hundred thousand dollars to fucking Capitol <laughs> Records right now. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's exactly kind of my thoughts on it. Is that you know coming from even in making electronic music and and signing with labels and stuff like that. Those when you're signing singles like that, like like what I'm typically doing, there's no, it's not lucrative. You don't, you're not gonna see money from that, because the thing is, is that these labels and and of which most are indie labels, some are a little bit more major label. But I mean, I, I saw a royalty check uh, for last year, a full year. Uh, I saw a royalty check of like. $25 and like 67 cents and that was a label taking a song signing it signing our, our signing the you know we signed the rights away to our songs to the record labels you know and that's that long a year of them pushing it to you know Spotify going to all the online sites I found that even too like a lot of the labels are even getting that lazy you know just the same way that that bands and and artists are sitting back and just depending on social media to be what's going to get their stuff out is that a lot of these labels are trying to do are starting to do the same thing is that they're just depending that their soundcloud following or their youtube following is what's going to sell their singles but it's not it just doesn't work like that anymore you know it's you know, I had this conversation last night with um, uh, Chris from um, uh, from Stabbing Westward of people don't, it doesn't work like that anymore. Money is not in record deals anymore. It's not. It never, and it never really was. It's exactly like Patrick said, it's a pipe dream of there's you have those visions of like, oh, you know, I get a major deal and then all of a sudden I'm going to have all this stuff, but it doesn't work like that. You know, your money comes from your shows. Yeah. Your money comes from your merchandise. Your money comes from finding placement. If you can, if you're lucky enough to find placement in TV or movies, like, that's where your money is. But guess what? None of that is stable. You don't get you know, like I, I watch international royalties that I've that I've had go from being, you know, uh, a couple hundred dollars every quarter, and I think I just got a deposit the other day for international royalties of uh, uh, two seventy five. I think was what it was two dollars and seventy five cents uh, <laughs> international royalties for a quarter. You know, and so that's a QT taquito money. I think yeah, it is. Man. It really is. You know, and so I was eating good that night. And once I got that, so it was good. Yeah, but you can get yeah, two for that price. It, it for for bands that are trying to reach that like. I don't know how else to say it, but yeah. fucking don't. <laughs> but like. <laughs> Aim for doing what makes you happy. Aim for being grassroots about it. 
because that's what's going to get you where you actually want to be and just be happy doing it because yeah. you have nothing else to gain from it you know yeah. there's, there's not much to gain from it well you uh you guys said uh, a while back something about uh that you when now that you reunited and uh from that show, uh august show and then uh now today you guys are working on new stuff is that right yeah i mean we're we've rekindled the fire a little bit and um I think the first thing we had to address was we're older, but I, but this is how I see it. So you guys are slowing it down and going country. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, we're just doing, <laughs> taking our time with us. Like, we hired yeah. a pedal steel guitar that's, player now. Yeah. I know that's what uh, like like Brett Michaels like uh, like he's country now. All, <laughs> yeah. those, like, all those like hair bands are all country guys. Aaron now. Lewis, like, Hootie. Yeah, Hootie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're so. So so the funny thing was is that I I kind of I think all of us kind of felt like with seven or eight years behind us we were like too old to do stuff but then when we started really talking about it we're like wow you know like a lot of the bands that we loved when in you know the late 90s early 2000s were in their 30s their early 30s exactly where we are now and I kind of feel like that's we're in that like late 80s Aerosmith walk this way phase where, <laughs> where it's kind of like the renaissance but we're like 10 years older you know yeah. um, and but and so we had to like we had to kind of ask ourselves like who are we writing for now and also like like what is the demographic because we're not writing to you know 16, 17, 18 year old girls to try to get them out to shows anymore and so now it's just more about like where do we want to go like we want to make music that people could listen to generally but it's still us um and also kind of sort of fits in like with things that are sort of like underground popular right now um not necessarily mainstream because that's where i think we go wrong (laughs) so so yeah so we we've got stuff in the works um i'd say for the we definitely have at least one ep on the horizon that I would say we have maybe three-fifths to four-fifths of the way kind of demoed out right now. Um, And then we just started dropping some new bangers that we are really, really obsessed with that might become a totally separate EP. So so when we started uh, last year of, like, getting this thing together, we were talking about let's make make the last album. Like, we're going to make the... We're going to make the last album and the best album something that we could be proud of. Like, we're not worried about, like, get, getting number one on STL Punk or, you know, trying to sell out the pageant or whatever. But, like, for us, it was like, let's make something that we're proud of that 10 years from now we can go back to and listen to and really love. And uh, that's where we started. And now some of the stuff we're coming up with, we're like, wow, like, that's kind of even like a more interesting direction. And so we're really going to write it out for a little bit. It's still very premature, but like, yeah, we are, we are actively writing. And I, I mean, I think we've got like five or six just demo ideas out on the table right now. Plus one that is really hidden, um, that we're really excited about. So play anything of any of those live, uh, last night. We did not, but we did play, we did play, I would say three of the tracks that are probably going to be on the first EP. If, if we go that route, um, but they, they are songs that like we that we were playing like 2010 ish. But like they're they're sort of like it's just weird because we're thinking that like as a mature band, 
that there's sort of like a heavier darker side of nothing still which is like what you see in our social media and our t-shirts now and um we really like that side of it because it just feels more mature because we have matured as musicians right and and we it's it's a more general audience for us and so i would say we definitely have the majority of an ep ready to go for that one um but but we're still trying to figure out like what the sound is that we're wanting to do um and i would say for me personally like i mentioned just like with age like i am a very like full force physical drummer you know i really look to like idols of like tommy lee caveman drumming <laughs> and for me it's a full bodied experience i am exhausted today i don't know how the hell i could do would do this on a tour we'd have to play shows every other day yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like chiropractic sessions in between. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. Like I don't know. Like I don't know if I could ten years from now if I could be having the same conversation. And when I put, when I started thinking about like where we're at in life, I'm like, shit, man. Like, how many bands were we into that were like most definitely in their thirties <laughs> when yeah. we were like teenagers? So yeah. Uh, I- that's what you, I mean, we've talked, we mentioned Steve and The Urge, like, I watch those guys, and Steve, they still run around like, like kids on that stage. Yeah. Now. Like, I don't, and Steve's like, probably in the best shape of his life now, and yeah. like, I don't know how he does it, man, but like, he's, he's inspiring though, for sure. Like, I look at that, and like, he's, uh, he acts like he's still a teenager and, you know, doing all this stuff, it's, and it's like. It's a completely different experience, like, I, you know. Having like you know, I I have two kids and spending a day with them at like the zoo. I'm just like get home and I'm just like I am so exhausted from that. (laughs) Yeah. But yet, I can show up at Del Mar Hall at three in the afternoon, unload equipment, and go out and play a rock show for forty five minutes and put every last bit of energy that I have into it, and it be nothing. You know, it's. There's something about the way that the adrenaline and the stage and just the feel of the the live show mm-hmm. gets. And I think that's that's especially what kept me and what got me really excited once we started talking about writing new stuff and starting to play a little bit more again because I especially was really missing the live aspects. Mm-hmm. You know, as as a DJ, you know, I get paid to play other people's music, my own music and you know, you kind of, you get that, for the big events, you know, of course, you get that feeling of, of power that you're controlling the crowd, you know, and people with their hands up and stuff like that. But there is something in playing live music for someone and playing for the crowds that there's a feeling that does not match with that other feeling. And it's a feeling that I was just craving so hard. It's a high, man. That's it why really it really is. That's why so many uh, musicians turn to fucking alcohol. I mean, uh, drugs, hard drugs, especially. I mean, because they can't match the high of being on stage. I mean, have you have you ever like felt full force adrenaline? Oh yeah. Oh, it's yeah. like sure. Like for me, I feel because I because we play to tracks, right? So we have like these synth tracks, and I'm aware of it because there are two different feels that are going on in my body. Everything that you guys are doing is full speed. Everything I'm doing is half the speed. 
and it's the most it's the craziest fucking phenomenon I've ever experienced and it's always we, we had it last night and I'm, I'm up there playing songs that I know are like 120 140 beats per minute and I feel like I'm just dicking around <laughs> like I'm just whiffing at it yeah. but but I know that I'm playing 140 beats per minute like it's insane yeah having that adrenaline rush it, I, I spoke exactly the way of, of how I could describe it too because there's there's even there's guitar parts you know and, and the rhythm stuff that I have to play like especially fast and for the you know three months that I was rehearsing here in the studio with it I was just like how did I ever play this part that fast? Like, when yeah. we wrote this, why, how did I ever play this that fast? And then suddenly, like, get on stage, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is fucking easy. I this all yeah. day. Like, huh. It's a weird thing. The reason I asked you is because I've never really heard anybody else talk about it. Yeah. And I've played in cover bands, and I never, I never had that feeling playing on stage or at a bar in a cover band. But I've had it on multiple occasions with nothing still where, like, you're on stage and it feels like you're in some kind of time warp. Yeah. And somehow I'm playing, I mean, my, my, my hands are just fucking all over the place. But they feel like, <laughs> they feel like half the speed. Right. And it's insane. I know I'm doing visual elements here on an audio. Uh, <laughs> but, it looks really cool yeah. just so everybody knows. Yeah. But that high is is really, like, it's, it's unbelievable. And that's why, I mean, fuck, I mean, that's why we're... we're Jones and right now after playing such an incredible show last night we're yeah. seeing the pictures and we're seeing the videos from people and getting the responses and uh responses have just been great we, for- yeah I mean I wanted to say that like I think that like where we matured is we were able to basically analyze having the time going back to your question from 40 minutes ago <laughs> having the time in between like it allowed us to go back and analyze things. And I know for me, like, there were choices that we made musically that I was like, why the hell did we do that? Because because we were like, we need to do something cool here. Let's play let's play fast as hell. You know, let's double the timing on this. Or let's do this weird, interesting uh, time signature right here. Or the song structure is, like, really out there. Like, let's do that. And those are songs that I can't listen to. Like, I can literally, like, like you mentioned the the third album we did. Like, I can only listen to half that album. And and because I just there are some things on the other half of it that I'm like, oh, why did we do that? <laughs> like I don't know. Yeah. But I know now that we can correct those things and go back and revisit songs. Sure. And each and every one of us as musicians have been able to basically analyze ourselves like like football players analyze tape, and and pick out the things that we were doing wrong and build on that. I mean, just just between the show we did in August and the show last night. I mean, we were able to watch our performance, listen to our performance, and pick out the things that we did wrong. And we went up on stage and maximized on all of it. And the response has been unbelievable. And, 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 and I mean, frankly, I mean, not to toot horns, but, like, everybody's been saying it's the best we've sound ever. Yeah. And that's exactly what I want to hear. And... and and when I went back and listened to things, like here we, here we played a show in August uh, 2018 at Pops, and we had a recording from Pops in 2009, and I listened to the same song, and one is in our heyday and we're in our 20s, and one, we are 10 years older and wiser, and the 2018 show blew the 2009 show out of the water. And I think that part of that was like ego, 
basically, and this, this is what bands could be guilty of, is that ego, basically believing that you're better than you actually are, and not having, you know, basically just not being able to, like, look inward and know how to fix things yourself or, like, overanalyze yourself. Yeah, I think just being, like, blind to it. Yeah. You know? Just it, believing it, you well, don't have to do things like vocal warm-ups or practicing yeah, or, or whatever, yeah. you know? You know, that, that was that was definitely, you know, and I, I for sure was, was guilty a lot of that when, because in our, in our heyday, it's like when you have so many people around you telling you how amazing that you are every time that you're out at a show or something like that, well, it's like, well, why do I need to rehearse yeah. then? Why do I need to be good at what I'm doing? Why do I need to better myself? Because everybody else already thinks that I'm awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I, especially when it came from, you know, coming back, doing for this show, like this show was really, really important to me because as a vocalist, it's like, if I'm going to fuck up, everybody's going to know that I'm going to fuck up. <laughs> if you're a bass player, if you're a guitar player and you miss a note by like a, a split second, you catch yourself most times, people aren't going to notice that kind of stuff. But if you just flat out go out there and sing like shit, you're just everybody knows it and so I I specifically made it a point for this show to go back and go back to some of the vocal training that I had done uh, in my past and take on a lot of new vocal techniques and practicing better vocal health overall um, and make it a point that this show what was I was I was going to make sure that it was all on point this time around and and I think that that was definitely part of the the looking inward, you know, piece of things. Is like, man, I go back and you know you see some of the old videos that, that you might find on like YouTube of of old recordings of us or old you know CDs that got recorded of live shows, and it's just like, I feel like people then were just more in love with the antics of the shows, and they were they were more in love with the show aspect of it. They didn't really care that like it was shit like that we perform like shit and so now we now though it's cool because we can we can take those ideas though and we can mishmash the both of them and make them be uh, a combination of being a great visual show while also being better at what we're doing and that's something that I don't feel like we ever yeah. I don't feel like we ever had both of those things at the same time I would say I, yeah, like it's like creating an illusion in a way like I've had people tell me this morning that we were better than stabbing westward last night, which is bullshit. But somehow we created an illusion. Like I'm not, I'm not agreeing with that statement at all. But there, but there are people that walked away from that show last night believing that we were better than a fucking established band for over twenty years. Yeah. There's no way. But but yeah, we basically pulled it together enough to where the visuals and the audio are finally on the same level, and they're basically being just assaulted with a complete live show does that make sense yeah i, I mean that makes total sense yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, definitely i uh, feel like um i've seen it happen a lot a lot of friends around town that are getting to that point where they're they're able to to do that the stepping up the production adding mm -hmm. the visuals and the lights and all and all that stuff and it really like it takes that show to the next level like compared to just sounding good you know yeah. you got now you have all the stuff to go with it and makes it a complete package and stuff so yeah but yeah, man. Well, very cool. You can uh, you can get involved with nothing still all over your social. Uh, we got to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We got uh, yeah, we're, yeah. You find us all I, mostly at nothing still. 
on Instagram, which is where you're going to find most of our stuff recently, especially because, you know, the Facebook algorithm isn't helping us out much. So you want to go to uh, at nothing.still on Instagram. And then also our website is nothing-still. And, yeah, we're on Spotify, iTunes, Music, SoundCloud. You can find all three of our albums on those. on those, And uh, that's where we will be releasing all new music as well. Yeah, hopefully... Uh Hopefully in 2019 here we'll we'll have some brand new nothing still tunes. I hope so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Plan on. Yep. Uh, and yeah, keep an eye out. More sh- more shows coming soon. Hopefully. Uh, so keep an eye out. Well. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate you guys doing this, man. It's been a whole lot of fun getting to kind of t- chat. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it's talk, great. It's been a long time coming. Talking man. about some of these old stories and stuff. And but uh, but yeah, man, I, uh, I've had a lot of fun hanging with you guys. I appreciate you doing this, and hopefully we can do it again soon when uh, with some new music or something. So definitely debut cool. some debut something on here or something. <laughs> Thank yeah, you, man. Sounds yeah. like a plan. Cool. Thanks, guys. Bye, everyone.
Rock, paper, podcast. Rock, paper, podcast. Rock, paper, podcast. Rock, paper, podcast. Well, yeah, that was it.